This week on Bloodstream, the first patient has been dosed in a phase three clinical trial testing Mars AA, an experimental subcutaneous therapy for hemophilia A and B patients with inhibitors. Worth mentioning, Mars AA is currently the only under the skin therapy in development for the episodic treatment of bleeding events. Patrick and I will discuss that and other news. Then later in the show, we will speak with leukemia survivor, bone marrow transplant recipient, and Be The Match ambassador, Bob Falkenberg, who will join us to celebrate 12 years cancer-free and just days ahead of his 10th annual cross-country cycling ride to raise awareness and support for the Be The Match donor program and registry. I approached the uh, leukemia treatment with the idea that there were only two things that I could control, my attitude and my physical condition when I got out the other end of it, and I'd let the doctors take care of the rest. Hi all, I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board, as always reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any healthcare decisions. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Listeners, thank you for listening. Please subscribe to and share the Bloodstream podcast with friends, family, and colleagues. And with that, Amy Boards, speaking of colleagues, hello, and how are you on this fine May day? I am well. I am well. It's it's kind of sunny and gray in Los Angeles. It's a thing. It snowed in Colorado this week. You know, weather patterns. Oh, wow. That's it. That's all I have <laughs> to say. It's just do weather patterns. Ah, they're fine. I mean, it's like, it's, it's always, uh, it's a thing in Colorado because they get snow in May and June and it's always, there's, there's two camps. There's one like, we need the moisture. And then there's another camp of like, I hate snow. It should be sunny. And so there's always like a clash of weather personalities. Yeah. Anyway, my social media mm, has where been did a you delight. Fall? I live in Los Angeles, so I don't care now. No, but back in the day, I was the I was one hundred percent like this should be it should be eighty degrees now. It should not. There should be no snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you on that. Um, but moving to Los Angeles does solve a lot of those weather related problems, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Although it really spoils you too, because you get a gray day like we've had lately, and I'm like, man, what, what? And it's like it's gorgeous actually. It's just like not perfectly ideal. I've definitely gotten. Uh, uh, spoiled by what we have here in Southern California. So, uh, Amy, Bloodstream Live. It's going to be streaming directly to Facebook on Wednesday, May 26th at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. That episode will then be distributed right here through the Bloodstream Podcast RSS feed two days later on Friday, May 28th in the regular Friday distribution slot. Bloodstream Live will include news updates, games, the Let's Talk Mental Health segment with Josh, contributions from Alexa Abreu, and more. And I should mention that this live is legitimately this podcast just live. Like you guys can watch it live. We're going to have new segments. That's correct. We're going to have games. It's going to there's going to be, you know, hijinks if you will, but it's us live. So please stick around. It's going to be great. And then the audio recording of the live will come out when Bloodstream normally comes out that Friday. So, which I believe is May 28th, which is going to be great. I'm, I'm excited about it. What are you looking forward to most about the live, Patrick? What can't you wait for? I like the, well, I like the pressure of the live, you know, like I, I liked being an understudy when I was an actor. I like when it's, you know, one shot left and time's expiring. Like, I like that pressure. So I'm excited for that. Um, I say that now. And two weeks from now, I'll probably be panicking over something about three minutes in with 57 minutes to go. But that is generally what I like about the lives. Have you done like something like this, like a live stream show before? 
Not, I mean, I can't think of anything. The only lives that I've done for Bloodstream have been where I've come on as guests and like you run it and I just like say whatever, which is low stress. I feel like this uh, one I'm gonna have to like, run up, run up, like do, do something. So high, st- <laughs> high stress, high stress. <laughs> uh, so listeners again that's in two weeks no episode next week we're taking the week off and then that final week Wednesday is the live stream on Facebook Bloodstream Media Facebook page Friday it'll be coming out as a podcast again I said this last week but if you know people who are like well it's a podcast I don't know how to then maybe the, that's a good person to send to the Facebook live on Wednesday the 26th I don't know who I was just in, in, uh, what's the word intimidating imitating Whew. man uh, what does Rob say? Coffee's broken? Anyway. Coffee's broken. So, Wednesday the 26th. These are the kind of things you'll hear in the live. Just a lot of jargon that we sometimes cut when we're editing, but will not be able to be cut if it's live. So, there you go. All right. That's enough on that. Uh, Amy, we do have some cool news to get into, and I would like to get into that with you now. And just before we do, dear listeners, I want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. I'm into that. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com one more time, that's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. All right, Wednesday was International Nurses Day, Amy Board. So uh, let's start with a big shout out to all the nurses serving people and families impacted by bleeding disorders, right? We know how they are really the backbone so often of the clinic, uh, and we are grateful for everything they do for this community. Absolutely. And uh, just a personal shout out, my brother is a is a nurse and um, my sister-in-law is a CNA working to become a nurse. And so just a personal shout out to my family members as well, front lines. Heck yeah. Well, actually, no, a shout out to Mama Sue, uh, my mom, also a nurse. And here's a cool thing. My mother-in-law, Ruthann, though not a nurse, she does work in an emergency room for a Ohio hospital. And she was just surprised with a big like nursing, nurse of the year award. She's not even a nurse, but for the act of nursing for her professionalism in the ER they surprised her with this big award a few days ago and like that's I don't think she's ever received that kind of a recognition for her efforts she's not that kind of person so very cool congratulations Ruth Ann DeLillo well deserved and shout out to all the nurses and medical professionals in our uh, in our respective families absolutely a couple community announcements want to make um, Amy I don't know if you've looked at this there are so I was on the HFA and NHF websites earlier this morning there's a couples retreat in Alaska this weekend. There's a new families retreat in uh, New England with Neha, the capital area. They got a women's event going on. Oklahoma, Ohio, California, all happening like nowish. So uh, if you've kind of checked out what's uh, checked out from what's going on with your local patient advocacy group, this might be a good time to check back in as things are definitely starting to pick up. 
Agree. Uh, it's been fun to communicate with chapter leaders um, just about, you know, getting their toe back in. I think it, it's state to state, uh, region to region with who feels comfortable and who doesn't. Sure. I do know multiple um, virtual events are still happening. I think a lot of camps are still 50-50 um, if we're going to have summer camp this summer. But it's slowly starting to um, trickle back in. And this is a great opportunity for you to reconnect with your bleeding disorder family. So excited to see it and can't wait to can't wait to get back out there community voices in research that's the name of an nhf led uh, registry that is community powered gathering bleeding disorders information and input via community surveys so far there's 1279 people enrolled not a huge number decent number but we can definitely get that number up but amy i found this really surprising 75% 963 of those people are male and only 24% identify as female. I know hemophilia affects primarily men, but we know that NHF serves hemophilia and von Willebrand disease. And these surveys, these are surveys for entire families and caregivers too, right? They are. I think that's the coolest thing about this survey is that it actually wants to look at the holistic view of having a bleeding disorder and how it affects, you know, the the outgoing family. So grandparents are encouraged to um, take the survey, parents, uh, caregivers, aunts, uncles, anyone who's in your circle. So to get those numbers a little bit more uh, evenly matched, I think is important. It does seem like patients are driving these numbers right now. And so to extend that out to um, the entire yeah. family unit unit is something that's very unique in the in the research space that NHF is spearheading. So it's it's a it's a very fascinating research project and I'm I'm psyched that you looked at the the data that's coming out. Yeah. Well, and we when we talk about total family impact, you know, and how there's no such thing as a quote unaffected sibling, the this kind of information gathering, these statistics, this data, that's the kind of stuff we can then use to demonstrate these things for policy purposes, for, you know, uh, insurance and reimbursement and services purposes. So important stuff, community voices and research. If you've participated, well done. If not, please do. If you have and if you haven't, also get some of your family members to get involved as well. Two pieces of novel therapy news. The first, uh, gene therapy licensing agreement between Unicure and CSL now in effect. So as of May 5th, uh, CSL Bearing has reached an agreement with Unicure, and they will be the exclusive uh, licensing entity of the drug, the gene therapy product that Unicure has been developing. We spoke about that back in the winter when it was first, when the trial was put on hold. As you might recall, we just talked about this a week or two ago that the trial has been, you know, that hold was lifted following an investigation. Well, now as you start to hear about a gene therapy drug from CSL, this is not something new. This is the Unicure program. It has now been moved over to CSL. I'm using a lot of layman's terms, but you get the idea. The takeaway being when you hear CSL and gene therapy, that's the thing that used to be Unicure. It's not another new thing. And I just, <laughs> that seems important to clarify in this era of just like treatments coming from everywhere. Speaking of treatments coming from everywhere, although this one is, uh, this is a newbie. So uh, the headline Catalyst Biosciences announces the first patient dosed in pivotal phase three study of subcutaneous Mars AA in individuals with hemophilia A or B with inhibitors. So what's interesting here is that to date, we have not had a subcutaneous drug to treat bleeds in real time for people who have either hemophilia A or B with inhibitors. 
This drug, a subcutaneous one, now in phase three of its clinical trial, now with the first patient dosed, is one step closer to potentially, fingers crossed, if all goes well, being made available to the inhibitor population for real-time treatment of bleed. So that's pretty profound, actually. Um, the inhibitor population, as we talked about plenty of times here in the past, is uh, certainly one with a very strong unmet need, especially those with hemophilia B and inhibitors. The consequences can be quite devastating. So, Amy, I was encouraged to hear, all right, this phase three trial is now moving along. First patient's dosed. It's happening. That's awesome. Uh, Patrick, for our listeners, where can they follow information like this? Where do you get information like this? Where does it populate your feeds? And do you do Google alerts? What should people do if they want to like be nerdy about it? You know, I used to do Google alerts, but I've been trying, I've been trying to like pare down how much stuff comes into my inbox over the years. And so I was like, ah, I don't, I can go to Google. So that that is what I do. Like I'll literally go and type in hemophilia, von Willebrand disease, bleeding disorders, hemophilia inhibitors, and look at the news. Like when you Google search and then you can hit like images, news, shopping, you're not going to shop for inhibitors, but you can look at the news. So that's one way that I will seek what's out there. NHF and HFA both have news uh, tabs on their website, and so there's some stuff there that I also will check out before kind of presenting something like this. Hemophilia News Today is not a bad platform either. It's not my favorite. It's not as comprehensive, frankly, as I'd like it to be with that title, but that's another good place. So if you're looking at NHF, HFA, Hemophilia News Today, you go to Google, type in hemophilia or von Willebrand's disease, hit news. And then, Amy, the other thing I'll do, too, is go to Twitter and type in hemophilia or hashtag hemophilia. And especially as more and more docs have gotten on Twitter and are using it, it's not just patients and patient advocacy groups. Uh, you have a lot of clinicians now, and sometimes I see things for the very, very first time on Twitter. So that's kind of the, the portfolio of places that I look at. Thank you. That's very helpful. And so if there's just one or two or a dozen nerdy listeners, now you know you can be just as nerdy as Patrick James Lynch. You're welcome. <laughs> Lucky you. Links to all of that in the program notes. All right, everybody, let's get into our interview with Bob Falkenberg. Patrick, you were able to speak with Bob. What were some of the takeaways from this interview? He seems like such an inspiring, inspiring guy. He really is. He he, you know, he actually, speaking of inspiring, I saw something from uh, Kobe Bryant that was being circulated online this week about uh, greatness is the ability to inspire others. That was his definition of greatness. And I think Bob, with that definition in mind, is great. Of course, what he has gone through personally as a patient is is extraordinary. And the decision to undergo a bone marrow transplant is a big one. Um, a leukemia diagnosis that is Bob's about to share you get uh, essentially overnight is that's monumental. But what's amazing about Bob is what he's done to give back to be the match and to transplant centers around the country as he has come to appreciate these services and knows firsthand just how vital they are. It's a quick interview. He shares a bit about a ride that he has coming up like our, like the late great Barry Hardy RIP in our community. Uh, Bob has taken to his bicycle and to riding thousands of miles across the country past, past transplant centers, um, gaining riders with him as he goes, getting news stories done, trying to raise awareness and support for the Be The Match donor program and registry. So he's going to talk all about that. He'll give you some information if you want to learn more. He's a great guy, an easy guy to root for. And uh, he's also retiring, as he mentioned, and this is going to be his full-time thing. So uh, B 
Be The Match has gotten a huge advocate with Bob, and I am glad that we're able to share just a little bit of his story with you right now. Bob Falkenberg is a 12-year ALL survivor and bone marrow transplant recipient who 10 years ago gathered friends and family to cycle with him through his recovery from transplant and Team Lifeblood cycling team was born. He's been completing epic rides to raise funds and awareness for Be The Match ever since. This summer, Bob will ride 3,500 miles, that's all, past many transplant centers as possible to show support for healthcare staff and patients. All of that starts on May 30th, and here to tell you more about it and how you can support it is none other than Bob Falkenberg. Bob, thank you. Welcome to Bloodstream. Thank you for having me. So this is an extraordinary story and initiative that you have been on. So let's start at a bit of the beginning. Why the cycling rides? I, of course, want to talk to you about your diagnosis, but let's go to the cycling piece first. Why cycling? And has there been anything across these 10 years that you did not anticipate when you started this initiative? Well, this whole path was unknown, I think, when I, when I first started this. I, I approached the uh, leukemia treatment with the idea that there were only two things that I could control, my attitude and my physical condition when I got out the other end of it, and I'd let the doctors take care of the rest. And uh, as I was uh, getting prepped for my transplant, my friend Carl called. He, I'd, we'd ridden together in the past. He had moved away like seven years earlier. Uh, so we hadn't ridden together for a long time. He called up as I was getting prepped for the transplant and uh, we made a deal that if I survived the transplant, we would go do the Savannah Century 100 mile ride, uh, which is Labor Day weekend, which was uh, 10 months after my transplant. And uh, so that's, that's pretty aggressive, but I wanted, I was very aggressive about wanting to get my fitness back and get my life back. And so we went and did that. It was really hard, uh, but we did it. We completed that. And then fast forward, <clears throat> we were uh, together uh, in January the following year. And he had always wanted to do a long ride. And I had always wanted to do a long ride. And so we hatched this plan that we were going to ride from his house north of Boston down to Key West. 1,700 miles. That was going to be 19 months after my transplant. Uh, one of my greatest fears in that was, how do I tell my doctor what I'm planning to do? And I, I, she had this stern look on her face, like, what are you going to do? And so I explained to her what, we're, uh, what, what Carl and I were planning to do. And she said, that's great. She said, when you get down to Florida, we'll come over and ride with you for a couple of days. And they oh, wow. did. Okay. So that was great. And we enlisted my daughter uh, to get involved, and uh, we wanted to fundraise. And so we got uh, my daughter involved to do the graphics and everything for us. And she said, I want to go. And so the, the three of us set off on that ride uh, with very, very little training <laughs> and route preparation or anything else, mainly just because uh, we wanted to do it. We'd always wanted to do it. And we had so much uh, fun in the process that we've been doing, you know, some family trips and some longer trips ever since. Now, I understand that you're passing, as I mentioned in that intro, as many different transplant centers as possible. Can you tell me a little bit, what is, what is the importance of the awareness that you're seeking to build through these rides? I, I, I have uh, uh, an experience when I was um, getting ready for my transplant. I was in the uh, waiting area at the hematology clinic, 
And the gentleman came in, he was talking to everybody, he seemed like he was probably somebody's family member. And he was, he was fine, I mean, you know, and, and somebody asked him, when was your transplant? He said, 100 days ago. And that just shocked me, it just, I almost fell out of the chair. I said, I can do this. At that moment, I said, I can do this. And I, I just think there's a lot of value in people seeing, you know, what's possible. And there's, there's people out there that, that are, you know, are having a nice life after transplant. It means a lot. Um, so that's really one of the things that uh, stimulated this is we, we, I'm trying, we're trying to reach out. And because of all the HIPAA restrictions, it's kind of hard to reach out to transplant survivors directly. We figure well we'll 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 touch base at all the transplant centers and you know invite them to participate in the ride uh in some sort of event a donor drive or something like that if they wish yeah it's a little complicated because of covid but it's it's really uh, it's working out great there are a lot of people going to join in in some way shape or form so take me back bob if you would to before you had a diagnosis what was going on with you that first led you to believe that that something was wrong? And then what was that diagnosis journey for you? What was that like? One day I was fine with zero symptoms. And the next day the, I had a very strange high spike in my blood pressure. Long story short, that ended me up in the emergency room. They thought I was having a heart attack. And oh, wow. at the end of that whole process, they said, uh, we need to keep you overnight and see a hematologist oncologist. We think you have leukemia. So <laughs> one minute I was fine. And a week later I was, I was getting inpatient chemo. It was a shock. It was a total wow. shock to the system. And when, when a bone marrow transplant is introduced, I mean, that is far from a risk free procedure. So what, how did that conversation go? And what did you have to think about and talk through with your clinicians and your loved ones? What, what was that part of the process like? It was a, it was a very, uh, it was a very good conversation we had. Um, I was very, uh, anxious, um, and, and kind of reluctant about going the transplant route. I was doing, because I was diagnosed with no symptoms that was helpful, but I got through the chemo really well. And there was sort of this choice at some point, this was several months into the treatment process, where it was like, you, do, you, do you want to get a transplant and have a potential for a cure? Here's the risk associated with that. Or do you want to go on maintenance chemo with the likely probability that at some point down the road, you're likely to relapse? And your best chance at a cure with a transplant is in your first good remission. I was still a little hesitant because I was feeling pretty good at that point. And they went out and searched the registry and they came back and they said, we have multiple perfect matches for you. And that's when we said, okay, let's do this. There's never going to be a better time. Let's pursue that path. I've gotten through the treatment so far pretty well and had no reason to believe that the transplant would be different. I saw a video of a portion of your meeting, your transplant, what's the donor, uh, for the first time, and or your bone marrow donor for the first time. And I think you used the term blood brothers, which, you know, here in my world of hemophilia, 
we often refer to one another with hemophilia as being blood brothers. And there's this really neat experience of being able to go anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, meet another guy with hemophilia. And there's just a certain amount of immediate connection because we share a certain amount of life experience together. This is obviously not the same thing. But when you said that, the, that level of emotional connection to someone who I otherwise have never met, it just really resonated for me. Can you tell me a little bit about that day meeting Jason and his family? Yeah, that was that was actually during the uh, cross-country bike ride that, that I did with another transplant survivor, Annie Lipsitz, in 2019. I had, we had met, my wife and I had met uh, Jason and his wife actually a couple of times before that. But meeting them the first time is just an incredible experience, you know. I mean, here's, here's somebody who voluntarily, uh, you know, took time out of their life to donate their stem cells to save somebody else's life. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's hard to explain the emotions of all of that. It's, uh, but it's, it's really intense. And we've actually become good friends and I'm gonna be passing through his hometown again, staying with him again on this trip coming up. Have you ever tried to get him out on the bike himself? <laughs> Not yet. I think this year I'm going to ask him though. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, good. I want an update on that. If you do, <laughs> you'll have to let us know. Um, Maybe so even for mentioned... a short ride around his house or something. We'll <laughs> try to get something. Yeah, so, right. At least around the block. Come on, that, that you could do at least around the block. Um, you mentioned how COVID has not thwarted this year's ride, which is excellent to hear. Though challenges, of course, come with COVID. But what makes this year ten years now of doing these rides? What makes this year's ride particularly special? Is there is there a message this year, or is there something about this year's ride that kind of stands out or is worth drawing a little extra attention to? Well, uh, for personally, it's a it's a, a a big deal for me. I'm actually uh, I'm turning sixty five this year, so I'm retiring. That's oh, one congratulations. thing. And, and what I'm going to be doing is going all in full time on volunteer work with Be The Match. So they asked me earlier in the year to take on the role as volunteer chair of this fundraising program. And I said, what, what we really need to do to, to grow the awareness and, and involvement in the program is reach out to the transplant centers. So that's what this is all about. So it's, a, it's got a, a lot of purpose to it, um, obviously to get the word out on what the needs are. We still need more donors. Uh, there's certain uh, ethnic groups that are underrepresented on the registry, and, and we, we need more donors that are, that are black and African-American, for instance. Their, their chance of finding a donor on the registry is only 23%. For me, it was 75%, and it's just there just aren't enough uh, donors. It, it's it's a, an HLA match, which is it's gonna be, your match is going to be somebody with the same ethnicity as you. The other thing is we're, we're the um, patient support program that Be The Match has where they cover the cost, uh, some of the costs that insurance doesn't, like for travel and stay at hospitals and things like that. A lot of uh, transplants involve out-of-town travel to do it. That fund got pretty much depleted last year um, during the pandemic. It was just high, uh, high cost for patients to uh, go through that whole process. So it's about, it's about outreach, it's about providing hope for patients, and also uh, trying to get more people engaged and aware of what's going on and what Be The Match does and involved in, in uh, helping out. 
Well, to that point, so if people are listening and they want to help out, maybe they can donate five bucks. Maybe they've always thought about donating bone marrow or any, any, uh, anywhere on the spectrum of help. What, where can people go to see what opportunities there might be for them to get involved? If someone wants to join the registry, they can go to bethematch.org, bethematch, all one word, bethematch.org slash join, and you can start the process. You fill out some forms online. They'll send you a, a, a cheek swab kit that needs to swab your cheeks, fill out some forms. Um, there's a medical questionnaire, things like that. And uh, uh, they're looking for donors uh, between the age of 18 and 44, mainly because those are the ones that are most likely to be chosen by uh, doctors. Uh, you can join if you're older than that, but there is a slight charge associated with it. Um, if somebody wants to support the ride this year uh, and support our fundraising effort, then they can go to bethematch.org slash, then all one word, tour de TC. So T-O-U-R-D-E-T-C. Got it. And we'll have links in the program notes as well. You know, there's a number of people in the bleeding disorders world who are avid cyclists and bike riders because we have some physical limitations. So that's a sport that the competitive amongst us tend to pick up. Are there still opportunities for people to jump along the ride? Are you still accepting new riders or wh wh where does that stand? Absolutely. Up until the day I arrived there. <laughs> so if they go to the uh, uh, website that I just mentioned, the be the match.org slash tour to TC, you'll see an itinerary up there. And uh, you can just reach out uh, to Be The Match, Stacy Chase at Be The Match, or just go ahead and, and sign up on the team and get in touch. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll arrange a, a meetup and, and come along for as little or as much as you want. Well, there you go. There's the challenge. There's a link in the program notes uh, for you to click to find out more. Uh, Bob Falkenberg, congratulations. Retirement year, 10th year anniversary of the ride, most importantly, 12-year survivor. It's great work you're doing, and it's neat to hear that going forward, this this work with Be The Match is really going to be, uh, it sounds like at the epicenter of your life in a lot of ways, and it's important work. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad we had a chance to meet today. Good luck, congratulations, and we'll be keeping an eye on your progress. Thank you. Look forward to it. Thank you, Bob, for joining us here on Bloodstream. Go check out his team's page. Support them if you can. Ride along if you can and spread the word, especially if you have cancer survivors or bone marrow transplant recipients in your home. Spread the word about Bob's great work. Thanks as well to Jamie and the Be The Match team. Shout out to those guys and the great work that they are doing. Amy Board, as we come to the end of our program, what do we have in store for listeners next time? Oh, reminder, there's no show next week, but maybe, oh my gosh, maybe listen to Flow. We have a new episode of Flow coming out, patient experiences with very extreme conditions, female experience conditions. So check out Flow next week. But uh, we do have our live on Wednesday, May 26th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Bloodstream Media's Facebook page. It's going to be crazy, 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 crazy. It's going to be very fun. So um, check it out. And then it'll be on your podcast feed two days later on our regularly scheduled Friday release. How about that? 
Thanks, as always, to our presenting sponsor, Takeda, bleedingdisorders.com, for wherever on your journey you may be. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, listeners. And check out the program notes in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com's episode page, where you'll find links and information related to the stories and segments featured on this episode. Have a bleeding disorders or health topic you'd like to hear us discuss more? Is there an expert or a guest that you're just dying to hear from? Want to inquire about casting opportunities for Bloodstream's podcasts or Believe Limited's films? Email us. Oh my gosh. Email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with Bloodstream Media on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can follow myself and, of course, Patrick on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And again, as always... Patrick is still like really pumping the LinkedIn thing. It's a thing and that's just going to be a thing. Absolutely. It's like my white whale getting you to support LinkedIn. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. (laughs) And I am your other host, Amy Board. And until next time, the live, if you will, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Talk to you in two weeks.